fifth chapter of Isaiah comes the prophet's words. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear. Come to me. Listen, so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord, that he may have mercy on them and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And then we go to the 13th chapter of Luke. We're backtracking a little bit today. Because we're having the first nine verses before us today. 
At that very time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that this is because these Galileans suffered in this way because they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will perish just as they did. Then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for years I have come looking for fruit on this tree and still find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting soil? He replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. And if it bears fruit the next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. To begin today, I want you to listen to a fact that I got from an NPR article I read last week. Eleven million Russians claim relatives in the Ukraine. Eleven million are related to somebody in the Ukraine. Now, this particular article went on to talk about and describe just how difficult it has been for Ukrainians to convince these Russian relatives of the devastation they are facing at the hands of an invading army. Son to father, grandmother to grandchild, sibling to sibling, conversation after conversation had Ukrainians describing, demonstrating, texting, photographing the level of destruction they're experiencing right now and hearing their very own loved ones say, nope. It's not what's happening right before your eyes. It's not what we're doing. We've seen news reports. We've heard from our own government. We, we know that we would never attack civilians or bomb schools or hospitals. We just don't do that. And no matter how hard the people that are actually going through that, try to convince their loved ones, they still can't convince them. Foreign invaders and military occupiers have utilized the very effective 
tool of propaganda since the dawn of time. That's exactly what's happening in our world today. And it's exactly what's happening in the opening of the text that we have before us in Luke today. Some of the occupying Roman army have killed some Galileans. Some regular people who were worshiping at the temple. When the Roman army got a little too close and murdered them in the same place in the temple where they sacrificed. So these victims' blood ended up commingled with the righteous religious sacrifice, thus defiling them all. And the people, as you might imagine, the people to whom Jesus is speaking are mad. Mad at the ordinary citizens having been killed. Mad that the religion, that their religion has been made a mockery. Mad that there's not really anything that they can do about it. And seeking wisdom from the young new rabbi, the crowd invites Jesus into their rage. Hoping about this news of the day, he will finally put these filthy occupiers in their place. Can almost hear him in the background going, This is what happened, Jesus. Go get him. Go get him. But Jesus shows no interest in that at all in this text. He does not take their proverbial bait, if you will, and changes the subject from the mundane contemporary culture to the deeper theological questions. Why do bad things happen to good people? And ultimately, who or what is responsible He infers that it is easy to know that our enemies are responsible for things like the murders at the temple. But what about the so-called acts of God? Like what happened at that tower in Siloam, which just fell over on people. People who were just as dead. Who's responsible for that? We obviously can't live amid this kind of suffering and pain without somebody being responsible. Who's doing this? Who made this mess? Why do some of us go through that kind of pain and others of us can't even imagine it? Jesus is really picking up here the question of John 9, when the disciples come to Jesus and say, there's a blind man who sinned that he must be like that, him, himself, or his parents, because somebody must have done something to cause that. 
Two bad things have happened in the life of these Galileans. Who's responsible? Jesus picks up the question again. Because the worldview of the Jews at the time was that if something bad has happened to you, it must be your sin visited upon you. Now, they didn't go as far to say as if something good happens to you, that must be because you're especially righteous. We get that later with the pilgrims and the Salem witch trials and some things like that. But very clearly, very clearly, the Hebrews understood that somebody in that blind man's life, either himself or his parents, did something to make him that way. Their sin was reflected in his bad luck. But twice here, if you look at the text, Jesus says, unless you repent, you will perish. What will cause you to be swallowed up by your sin is not looking for who's to blame for it, but your own failure to repent of it. Do I have to do this thing again? Repent means turn around. You're going in a direction and it's the wrong one. Turn around. Repent. Attached to this interaction, this narrative, is a parable. An orchardman, an orchard grower, has a tree, and the tree is no good. Now, for an orchard owner, that's a bad deal. Because if you've ever seen an orchard... Trees are planted very meticulously. And if you've got one that isn't pulling its weight, you got to cut it out of there and find one that's going to produce for you and produce well. Is this right, Andy? Am I getting this right? I don't know anything about green things except what's grown in my refrigerator. So tell me if I'm getting this. This is the way trees work, right? And sometimes you get a dud. And Jesus is telling this story that the orchardman has this tree that's not producing any figs, any fruit. And he says to his hired hand, just chop it up. Cut it down. A very common thing to say. The right thing to say. If it's taking up space, get rid of it. But the one tending the trees says, give it another chance. We'll take better care of it. We'll water it. I'll weed it. I'll put manure on it. And by the way, this text about manure has really garnered some interesting sermon titles. Go home and Google them because really weird stuff going on there. Um, in, In praise of manure was one of them. He put manure on it. And then, and then he says, and see if it grows. 
See if this tree that has been no good, that has not produced anything, that has just sat around and wondered where its sin came from, instead of actually taking the time and effort to repent and turn around and become prosperous and fruitful and multiply and do all the things that it's supposed to do, has a chance. Just give it a chance to change its ways and grow. Stop looking at that person and saying, who sinned that you're like that? Maybe it's your parents or maybe it's you. Who did it? Stop looking at your own life and saying, why is it like this? Repent and follow the ways of God. That's what produces fruit in your life. That's what makes you prosper. That's what helps you find your way a step closer to God. Repent. 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 Amen. Amen.